here. Uh, my name is Bill. I'm one of the pastors. And I don't know about you, but I hate corruption. I hate something completely deviant from the way that it should be. Are you just tired of corruption? Maybe you moved away from your home country to escape corruption. <clears throat> and in fact, there was a corruption index, the Corruption Perception Index, that's released every year that shows the most corrupt countries in the world. <laughs> You're looking for your country, aren't you? <laughs> you are, I know it. You see your country on there? Yeah? You think it should be a darker shade of red than it is? <laughs> I love the buzz. <laughs> you're telling stories about bribes that you've having to, you have to give or how you're so glad you don't live there. <laughs> now, one thing that I noticed about this, no matter where you are, I noticed that that map is a pretty well-representative map of the world. Corruption is everywhere. <laughs> corruption is more of a degree than it is, is there corruption or not? So today we're going to talk about finding rest from inescapable corruption. Because if you thought the coronavirus spread fast, <laughs> corruption spreads even faster. We're going to talk today about how we find true rest from inescapable corruption. Because whether it's corruption that you face in your home country with your government of having to pay for bribes or special services to be able to get stuff done, or whether it's corruption in relationships that you thought you could trust someone with a secret and then they went and blabbed it to the whole world. Or maybe it's you faced corruption in a marriage where what you thought was serious commitment, just evaporated in infidelity. Maybe you've come here today and you have had business practices that go sideways and you've been face-to-face -face with corruption or maybe even in your job that you face right now, you're face-to-face -face with corruption. You know, I hate corruption and so do you. But you know God hates corruption? You know that corruption bothers God looking at the things that he has made, the world that he has created, and looking out on all of it and seeing corruption, it bothers God. We're in a series where we've seen the origin story of how God created the world and how he created humanity. Corruption bothers God so much that today we're gonna see he rolls up his sleeves and he deals with corruption. He deals with corruption because it bothers him so much. We're going to talk today about the story of Noah. And if you've grown up in church or you've seen children's Bibles or whatnot, you've seen the story of Noah. It's about these cute little animals and they all hop together and they get on this big boat that floats for a while and then everything is great. The story of Noah, as God deals with corruption, is actually a serious, tragic tale. Well, we're going to see the finding rest from inescapable corruption. You see, the story starts with Noah. Noah, not the, the Russell Crowe Noah of before, but it starts with Noah. Noah, you see, Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless in his generation. He walked with God. 
And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. And the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was not good. It was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth, and God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. You see in this series on origins, We've seen the origin story of humanity. We've seen the origin story of the earth. And every time God has looked on it, and he's looked on it, and every part of our origin series, we've said, it is good, it is good, it is good. And now God looks on his creation and sees that it's corrupt. It's completely opposite the way it should be. And you know firsthand that the world is corrupt, face to face with violence, face-to-face with injustice, face-to-face with brokenness, we are clearly aware the corruption follows mankind. And so did you catch how, how messed up the world was in the time of Noah? Just like it says the earth was corrupt in God's sight. It was filled with violence. God saw the earth, it was corrupt. Again, it's, God says, I would have determined to make an end of all flesh. Because the earth is filled with violence. I'll destroy the earth. You get how corrupt the earth was? And you may be thinking, wow, that sounds really harsh. That sounds really harsh. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Was God just having a bad day? <laughs> Did he just get up on the wrong side of the big divine bed in the sky and was kind of grumpy? Maybe he just needs his coffee. <laughs> No, actually, other flood accounts in other ancient literature, uh, in other belief systems, have different flood accounts of the gods or the divine beings flooding the earth. And every single one, the gods are annoyed at humans because they're just being kind of noisy. <laughs> no, this is much more serious with God. It's the total corruption of humanity. But it says in verse 14, it says, make yourself an ark of gopher wood, Noah. Noah, you're righteous. You walk with God. Noah has this relationship with God. So Noah, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. Make it waterproof. You see, God tells Noah, build this boat in the middle of nowhere. You don't even need water. Noah. Now, it takes a long time to build a vessel that size. And Noah had plenty of time. He was like 600 years old when, when this happened. So he had plenty of time. And God says, build this boat and gives the dimensions. Noah builds it. And he says, here's the reason why I want you to build this boat. Behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven, the very breath Ruach, the breath that God has breathed into his creation, he is now going to snuff out because of corruption. Everything that is on earth shall die. Everything shall die. How much of everything is everything? Everything, yeah. <laughs> and how dead is it to die? 
You're like, this is pretty thorough. <laughs> like, there's no wiggle room, right? <laughs> he says, Noah, I'm going to wipe out everything but you. But I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. Now, not only does we, do we see that, God was, that Noah was righteous and he walked with God, we see that he was obedient because God says, get in the ark, and Noah does. And God brings all the animals, and all the animals get into the ark, and then God seals it up. In all the other flood accounts and all the other literature, uh, the human is the hero. But in this, we see that God seals up the ark. Because if you have a big boat with a giant hole in it, it's not that efficient. (laughs) So God seals the ark. And then the waters start to come and God is about to wipe everything off the face of the earth. And you may think, ooh, that sounds really serious. I mean, that sounds really serious that God would deal with that. You know what? God is bothered by corruption even more than we are. The injustice that's in the world, God is bothered more, like, more than we are. The, the violence that's filled with the world, that bothers God. Corruption bothers God so much that he wipes out everyone on the face of the earth. He does a factory reset to his creation. And you might think to yourself, that seems a little harsh. I mean, it's, it has just a, a little sin in it. There's just a little corruption in it. I mean, that sounds kind of extreme. Well, you see, when you have perfection, you can't have any imperfection. Otherwise, it stops being perfect. You see, God's perfection, God's holiness, is like if I were to... Uh, have you up on stage right now and I have a blender and I have some Londonderry ice cream and some really fresh milk and some fresh strawberries. Oh man. And some rambutans and I'll peel those up and stick those in there and strawberries and milk. Anybody like a milkshake? I love a milkshake. And then I, I, I say, okay, great. Go back to your seat. And, and then I take it over here and I blend it up and then I bring it to you, and I say, hey, here's your milkshake. And you go, oh, that's great. And I say, oh, yeah, but don't worry about it. There's just a little bit of poop in the milkshake. You're going, what? No way, it's ruined, right? It's ruined, right? (laughs) Completely. Yeah, to say there's just a little bit of sin is to say, to say that there's a little bit of sin in the midst of God's perfection, it's like saying there's a little bit of poop in your milkshake. It's ruined. It's ruined. That's why we need Jesus. It's completely ruined. And so God floods the whole earth. The ground opens up. Waters come up. And the waters rise. And as the waters rise, people try and swim for their lives. Animals try and tread water. And the waters get deeper and deeper and deeper. And no matter how hard they try and swim, they can't outswim God's destruction of the world because of human corruption. And so with their very last gasp of breath, the cries of humanity are silenced as the world is drowned. And then complete decimation of God's creation. There's complete decimation. 
Because corruption bothers God that much. You see, when it comes to human tragedy, our hearts break. Our hearts break when we hear of historical events and genocide. Our hearts break when we hear of tsunamis crashing against countries. Our hearts break when earthquakes cause serious damage. Our hearts break when there's accidents on a mass scale. Our heart breaks. But this story, because of humanity's corruption, God destroys everything. Because there can be no corruption in the midst of perfection. This is a tragic tale. And God takes corruption that seriously. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died. Just look at how complete this destruction is. All flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth and all mankind, everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life, God's very ruach, his breath of life, everything died. He blotted out every living creature that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, they were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were there with him in the ark. And then God made a wind blow, his breath again, his ruach. He made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. You see... If it's one thing that humanity is good at, it's causing decimation because of our corruption. And maybe you've noticed that everywhere you follow, there is brokenness. Everywhere you go, it's like a shadow where it's just right behind you. Corruption. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed every broken relationship that you're a part of, there's a common denominator? There's actually two common denominators. There's other people and there's you. I'm the common denominator in a ton of problems. And humanity is really good at causing decimation because of our corruption. We're really good at destruction. We're really good at corruption. In fact, even the word decimation, decimation, we love that word, don't we? It just sounds like, don don decimation. We love that. And actually, decimation is one of my favorite words because it literally means decimation, desa, to remove 10% of a population. So there 90% remains. But that's not the way we use it anymore. So I looked it up in the Oxford English Dictionary thinking, Oxford English Dictionary, I'm at least Oxford English Dictionary is going to retain the meaning of decimation to kill 10% so that 90% remains. I look it up, decimation, it says... Originally, the word meant to kill 10% of a population, so 90% remain. However, because humans have misused it so much, the definition has now changed to killing everybody. I'm like, humanity even corrupted my favorite word. (laughs) We're so good at messing stuff up. 
That's why we need God. We need God to say, yes, humanity is messed up, but God. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts of the field and the livestock that were in the ark. And then he makes a wind blow and the waters subside. (sighs) Now we get to the point where it seems like it's at the very bottom. And now if this were a movie, we would see the, not the bad movie with Russell Crowe, I mean a, a real movie. If we were able to see this, the ark would rest on a mountain and we'd hear the music, the birds are flapping and chirping and the sun is coming out and the waters go and the green grass is growing and we say, yes, this is finding restoration. This is, oh, I'm so glad that's over. That was so bad. Oh, Restoration. Like seeing a long-lost family member or a repair of a marriage, you go, oh, this is so great. There's restoration. Even the way the story's told on, uh, on this day in chapter 8, it's a recreation. It's a recreation. Like when you see uh, the first movie and then the sequel comes out and there's a lot of Easter eggs that only you notice because you love that movie. There's a ton of Easter eggs in here. Look at this. Day one, the earth, the deep, the spirit, the waters. It's in eight verses one and two. Verses, verse two talks about day two of the sky, the water, the dry ground. Day three, the water, the word dry, the appear, this language. God is recreating the world after the flood in the same order. Day four, The lights weren't destroyed, so they don't need to be recreated. Day five, the birds. Day six, the creatures that move along the ground. Man made in God's image. Man himself. Day six and day seven, there's rest. Ah, this is awesome. Restoration. It's the point in the movie where we're going, ah, this feels so good. Ah, there's hope. In fact, even the rest Rest, we see that the ark rested on a mountain. In the Hebrew, it's Noah. On the, it rested, Noah, on the mountain. The dove that Noah releases hunts for a manoach, a resting place. Anybody want to guess if the ark rested, Noah, on the mountain, the dove hunts for a manoach, does anybody want to guess what the name Noah means? Yeah, Noah means rest or comfort. The man's name even tells us that God preserved his rest, that although humanity deserved destruction, God provides rest. That he, there's no amount of work that humanity can do to make restoration itself, that God provides restoration. God provides this restoration and all things are being made new. And I imagine Noah and his family get out of the ark and all the animals come out. And I can't imagine how they smelled after all that time, but it didn't matter. (laughs) They were on dry land. And and let's just look at this, starting with verse 15. Look what God says to Noah. He says, go out from the ark, you and your wife, your sons and your sons' wives, He says, bring all the stuff that was out, all the living flesh, every creeping thing. Go so that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply. 
And so then Noah gets out and Noah knows what's up. So he builds an altar. The first thing Noah does is that he builds an altar to the Lord and he takes uh, every clean animal and, and he takes these animals and he offers a burnt offering to God on the altar. Knowing that this sacrifice, God, this is because of you that we're saved. The sacrifice, it's consumed as a burnt offering, which shows God's approval of it. And then it says, the Lord smelled a pleasing aroma. Did you know God could smell? A, a pleasing aroma. Literally in Hebrew, it means a rest-inducing odor. <laughs> What's the, what, what is a pleasant aroma to you? What is it? Is it mom's cooking? Lemongrass? Maybe sandalwood? Maybe it's, uh, for me, I love the smell of swimming pools. I do. It's so calming to me. The chlorine just, ah. We have some friends, and, and every time we go over to their home, they cook for us. And we love their cooking. It's the best cooking ever. And they'll invite us over for breakfast. And when they invite us over for breakfast, we open the doors to the lift open and we just smell that smell. Ah, oh, a pleasant aroma. And we follow our noses. And we follow our noses right to their door. And we're like, I hope this is for us. I hope this is for us. I hope this is for us. We open the door and then we are just blessed with the smell of breakfast. Oh, it smells so good. I think next time we visit, we might say, oh, this is a rest-inducing odor. <laughs> or maybe we'll just say pleasant aroma. I don't know. But you see, the sacrifice that Noah gives was pleasing to God. And Noah, we see Noah found favor with God. He walked with God, and he was righteous before God. And so after Noah gives this sacrifice to God, this righteous, obedient man gives a sacrifice, then God smelled this and he says, I will never again curse the ground because of man. Even though the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. The intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. No one has to teach a two-year-old the word mine or no. <laughs> In fact, if you have a two-year-old here, I'm sorry if I just taught them those two words and they didn't know it because they were the exception, right? No, man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. God says, I'm going to show mercy. I'm going to show mercy because even though humanity deserves destruction, I'm going to withhold total earth destruction. So God blessed Noah and his sons, and God says to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. God, God says, into your hands everything is delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. Earlier, God had given them green plants to eat. Every plant, well, almost every plant, was available to eat, right? And so God gave them all these great plants to eat, and all the vegetarians said, yes. amen. <laughs> and then after the flood, God gives them everything to eat, even the animals. And all the carnivores said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
And the reason, look at this, God is going to show that there is life in the blood. That there's life in the blood. God says, don't eat animals alive. You can't eat animals with the life still in them. That is the blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require a reckoning from man. And from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of another human, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. God says, in order for you to be fruitful and multiply, to increase greatly on the earth and to multiply in it, you can't kill one another. In fact, there are consequences of death because there is life in the blood. He says, I established my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off. God says, here's the sign of my covenant. I'm gonna take my bow and I'm gonna set my justly deserved uh, weapon I'm going to set it in the sky and my bow will be in the cloud and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant. This is also the origin story of the rainbow, God's bow that is set in the sky saying, even though you deserve destruction, I'm not going to destroy the whole earth again. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I've established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So as we look at finding rest from inescapable corruption today, a couple ingredients. The first ingredient is righteousness. Righteousness, right? Having a right relationship with God. This is that Noah was a righteous man. The second was obedience. God said to Noah, Noah, build the ark. And what did he do? He built the ark. If he hadn't built the ark, we wouldn't be here today. <laughs> All right? The third is sacrifice. Noah sacrifices a pleasing, rest-inducing aroma to the Lord. And last is God's merciful promise. God's merciful promise that I will never destroy the whole earth again. I will show mercy. And so if you're looking for rest from inescapable corruption, know that the ingredients are righteousness, obedience, sacrifice to embrace God's merciful promise. And maybe you were face to face in corruption and you thought to yourself, I want to live in a utopia where there is no more corruption. In fact, for the sermon series, I typed in utopia on Google search and look at the pictures that came up just on when I typed utopia. Does that look familiar to you? That looks oddly familiar to me. A real high-tech city. And it is great living here. And I love living here. But you know what's also here? Other humans. <laughs> there are other humans here. And as long as there are other humans, we will always have corruption. In fact, I wish the story of Noah ended here, but it doesn't. You see, Noah became a farmer, and as he became a farmer, he made wine, and he got drunk. And he got drunk, and when he got drunk, it says this in verse 22, he lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, and he went and told his two brothers. 
And then when Noah awoke from his wine, he knew what his youngest son had done to him. A lot of times we think that this is just like uh, Ham walked in into the tent and Noah's laying there un uncovered and we're like, oh, whoa, I can't unsee that. Oh, man, that's weird. But actually, it's much more corrupt than that. Notice that when Noah woke up, he knew what his son had done to him. This idea of laying uncovered and being uncovered is quite gut-wrenching. And it shows just how corrupt humans are, even the few humans that God saved. If you want to study it more, this idea of uncovering what, what it means to be uncovered and what maybe could happen, I'll let you piece it together. But here's some verses that might be helpful to look at what really happened in there. In fact, we see, and the big point of the story isn't the corruption of humanity, because we realize the guy we thought was the hero all along, he's just one of the bad guys. The real hero of this story isn't even a human. The real person in this story is God, because humanity cannot escape the corruption of sin. Humanity, we just can't, we can't escape the corruption of sin. No, it's like trying to brush your teeth clean while eating Oreos. It just doesn't work. <laughs> and then when Noah awoke, when Noah woke up and he saw what his son had done to him, the only words Noah speaks in this whole story, he curses his son for what his son has done. And he says to his other sons, you will serve, you, you, you will serve your other brothers. And then it says, after the flood, Noah lived 350 years, and then the days of the Noah were 950 years, and he died. You see, the origin of the story of Noah is about God's merciful promise. It's about righteousness, sacrifice, obedience, God's mercy, and it really shows us to find rest from inescapable corruption. We actually have to have a perfect hero, not a hero that fails in the end. No, humanity's inescapable corruption needs an incorruptible Savior. Humanity's inescapable corruption needs a Savior who cannot be corrupt. And that's why we talk about Jesus at Fellowship so much. Because Jesus did what Noah could never do. Jesus paid the price for your sin and for mine. In fact, Jesus' righteousness and perfect obedience we see fulfilled. Romans 3, 23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How many have sinned? All. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Not humanity's own efforts, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. <laughs> And the reason that we can have any sort of righteousness is because of Jesus' sacrifice. Romans 3 goes on and says, whom, put, whom God put forth as a propitiation, a, a payment, a ransom payment by his blood. Where's life? Life is in the blood. Whom God put forth as a propitiation for his blood to be received by faith, by trust. 
And, and only then by receiving God's, uh, by receiving Jesus' death and resurrection, we believe in faith, then we can hold on to God's merciful promise. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So if you want to find rest in God's promise of salvation, if you want to find rest, know that the requirements are righteousness, obedience, sacrifice, to hold on to God's merciful promise. If you're trying to do it on your own, if you're trying to be righteous on your own, chances are you've come here today and you've already looked down on other people saying, oh, I, I thought that, I heard that they were out last night. No, did you see what she was wearing? And oh, at least I'm a better person than they are. And at least I have more hair than Bill. And you're always trying to be self-righteous because you're trying righteousness on your own. Now, what if? What if we said, wait a second, righteousness only comes from God, only through the person of Jesus. I'm going to hold on to Jesus' righteousness, not my own. It would transform us. It would completely transform us. Obedience. Obedience. That we would be delighted to obey. That as God says something to us, we would say, God, I'm going to do it. <laughs> you say to build an ark, I'm going to build an ark. <laughs> Even if it doesn't make sense. I'm going to be obedient. What about Jesus' sacrifice? As we look at Jesus, the one who is obedient even until death, that would stir us up to say, you know what? Jesus died for me so that I could live for him. I'm done living for me. I'm done trying to hold on to the promotions, the, the cars, the prestige, the cash, whatever it is that I thought was in utopia. Because really, only rest is found in the person and work of Jesus. And therefore, I can live out in God's merciful promise. That would transform us. And I look forward to how God will continue to transform us. I'm thankful that God has destroyed the effects of sin and corruption. That Jesus has even put death to death. And that there's new life in him. This week, this week, go out and think to yourself, do I trust in Jesus' righteousness so I can walk with God or am I trusting in my own righteousness? Ask yourself, how do I trust myself to escape corruption? Are you trying to swim in the flood all by yourself? God has already provided true righteousness in Jesus. How does Jesus' perfect obedience to death shape my life today? Does Jesus' death shape your life today, right now? If it doesn't shape your life right now, you don't understand what a profound movement of God the death and resurrection of Jesus is. It shapes us forever. And ask, your life, ask yourself, what corruption in my life do I need to repent from? Where is there still the stain of corruption in your life? I have to tell you, as I was preparing for this message and just the weightiness of the world's corruption, God showed me areas in my life I go, ooh, ooh, God, that's, that's not what it means to be a follower of Jesus. No, Jesus has transformed my life. God, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to think that way. I don't want to hold on to that grudge. God, I, I want to live for you. 
And as all of our hearts turn towards God, the only one who can save, we find true rest from inescapable corruption. The only escape is Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for how your word reminds us in your truth that we can't do it on our own. We know that destruction is is the only way forward when it comes to sin and corruption. And we thank you that corruption bothers you even more than us. Father, right now, we ask that you would show us areas of our lives that we need to repent from. Things in our lives that are corrupt, that are violent, that are not of you or the way you've created us to function. And we want to turn away from those. And we need your help to live obediently in light of Jesus' sacrifice. We thank you for your mercy that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. And we pray all these things in his powerful name. Amen. Amen.